please stay right where you are because it's time for GeorgiaCarry.org radio with Doug and Jesse King. GeorgiaCarry.org is Georgia's no compromise voice for gun owners. Stay tuned for valuable information on protecting your Second Amendment right to keep and bear arms. And now, your host for GeorgiaCarry.org radio, Doug and Jesse King. Welcome, everybody, and welcome to Let's Make a Deal. I am your host, Doug King. I'm here with my lovely assistant, Jessica, this week, and we have a special show for you today as we invite the entire citizens of the state of Georgia to be our first contestant. Now, I know that you're all very excited to be playing for such fabulous prizes as Campus Carry, Second Amendment Rights, and even Constitutional Protections. Well, we'll find out what the big deal is today behind door number three right after this. Jessica? That was harsh. (laughs) But that's pretty much what we've been doing this week. We passed this bill for campus carry through the Georgia legislature. It makes it to Governor Deal's desk, and then he's like, no, I'm not going to sign it like I promised I would. I don't support it like I said I did. I, I I was going to run with a little bit more of my my thing there because I I think that if we opened up door number one we'd find campus carry bill from 2014 door number two campus carry bill from 2016 and door number three a, a big, new car a big fat <laughs> veto and illegal procedures to keep all of it off the books and that's what the state of Georgia got stuck with when they picked the wrong the wrong deal on this one. I'm afraid that this was not so much let's make a deal, but what is the the game show with Howie Mandel and the suitcases? Deal or no deal. Deal or no deal. That That's kind of what it is. Oh, but I do a much better Monty Hall yeah, you do. than Howie Mandel. I don't have the hair for it. Howie Mandel doesn't have the hair for it. Let's be real. You're not quite a big enough germaphobe. You know, Howie Mandel has some real big germaphobic Yeah, but he also it, did Bobby's issues. World, so I can forgive a lot. I've never seen Bobby's World. Oh, it was a cartoon in the early 90s, and it was set in Minnesota, and it was hilarious. It was it was a kid's cartoon, but it had, like, double-layer humor. It was set in Minnesota. Yeah, and <laughs> and the mom talked like that, too. Really? Yes. That's hilarious. But it was, it was like, um, it had this double-layer humor, and the adult humor was never crude or inappropriate. It was actually funny, and the kid humor was funny, too, so you could, like, watch it with your kids, or you could watch it with your parents and actually get something out of it. It was it was a great show, Imagine and it, that. it was on Fox. but. TV for the whole family that doesn't happen anymore no no if there's not something horribly violent in it there's something over the top sexual in it and yeah even or it's dumb yeah even the kids shows are are turning but uh, let's let's return to let's make a deal here or deal or no dealer i think it was more like that one that had the whammies that you would get whacked when you gave the wrong answer they'd have the cartoon thing come across the screen and you'd lose all your points and eat your points right off the screen whack you yeah well they literally hit you no but they had this animated cartoon thing it was called a whammy and if you guessed the wrong thing the whammy came out and stole all your points and it ran across the screen and everyone oh I think that's more what this this deal feels like, is that we pick the wrong door and suddenly a whammy comes out and wipes everything off the map. Well, I don't know that it's being wiped off the map, but I do believe that Georgia Carey's not supporting it. I haven't seen any recent news, but Georgia Carey's not supporting there being any amendments to it, are they? I, I don't know. I, I'm... I'm trying not to follow it because I feel like I'm too close to it. Yeah, I know you've got a case that... Um, it's going to blow the doors off this sucker. The sad part here is we did not 
do a test case on it sooner. Well, they did two civil lawsuits, which were both not viable because the government can't get sued like that. And we needed someone to go get arrested, and no one's going to advocate for someone to go get arrested. Because if you advocate for someone to go get arrested, then what you're doing is promoting criminal activity, and then you might actually fall into RICO statutes. And there's a whole bunch of things that go along with all of that kind of reasoning. But when a superior court judge looks down at you and says, if you really want this to go through, have someone get arrested, I don't think the superior court judge is arguing for you to take part in criminal activity so what whatever the really amazing thing is that nobody did it from 2014 until like last fall right yeah or was it winter it was christmas it was, it was some christmas, yeah. uh, and then recently i, w- I want to say i saw on the news a few days ago there was another man that had carried a gun into a school yeah. in georgia I don't know anything about that case. I know mine is is perfect. It's everything we could hope it to be, and it's just dragging along at the criminal speed. And that's something else that really needs to be fixed in Georgia while we're fixing laws is we need to make a time limit on how long it takes a case to get to trial, and if the state can't do it, the case needs to be dismissed, period. We also have some um, voter access laws and. Oh, yeah. 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 Well, you know, if you want to talk about ballot access and, and ballot my, access to my, my political race, that's awesome. I, I don't think the board wants me to spend an hour talking about my stuff. But there was a landmark key decision that came out yesterday, which impacts my race as well as every other third-party independent political body candidate in Georgia. I think it's okay to talk about that. Well, the, the cool thing is, is you know why? Do you know why this landmark decision came out now? Because they want to rush it to get more independence in. Right, because they think Donald Trump is going to win. So suddenly the Republican Party is like, ballot access? Who came up with this garbage? We want everybody in. We're like, but you came up with it. And they're like, well, we don't want it now because now we're not in control. So (laughs) lo and behold, right before the 2016 election, this case has been litigated for five years. Just before it becomes the, the, I mean, the 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 deadline for getting on the ballot as a third party political candidate body, uh, political body candidate or independent is July 12th. You have to have your signatures in by July 12th. For the for the president, the law said that you had to have 50,000 signatures. Okay? So basically, we needed 50,000 signatures to get on. And, and then- 50,000 signatures in time or in paid-for signatures comes up to $350,000 worth of effort. Okay, and so now the Republican Party, that was the way to keep people off of the ballot, to keep them from competing against Republicans. But now Trump is running. The Republican Party's like, <laughs> we didn't say that. That's, what are that's, you talking about? That's like unfair. That's that's horrible. Let's not do that. And so what do they do? Suddenly this decision comes out and it cuts the number from 50,000 to 7,500. It cut it down to 15% of the original total. Now let's let's translate that across the board. If that applies to every political body candidate, then my race went from 3,000 to about 400. 400's easy. <laughs> I mean, you, you can get do 400, 400 at Walmart. <laughs> yeah, or, or the gun show, or at the Booth Western Art Museum when they did their cowboy cook-off last weekend. No problem. I and mean, that's easy. Shoot, my, 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 my seven-year-old could probably round up 400 people inside of a day. I mean, this, that's, that puts everybody on the ballot the way it should be. And the court in this decision said that they're going to apply strict scrutiny to ballot access. And that's like... Brilliant. Now, what else has the court applied strict scrutiny to in history? Let's discuss that. There was something that was voter rights for black Ra- people, right? Racial integration. Okay. And, and yes, uh, voter rights for minorities. 
um, free speech in political speech gets strict scrutiny. Most other speeches do not, but political speech does. The Second Amendment does not. Um, Fourth Amendment does not. I mean, these are things that that don't get that kind of level of protection. But political speech does, and now voting access for getting on the ballot. Instead of just the way they defined it before is that voting access to vote got strict scrutiny, but nothing else. Now they're saying to vote and to get on the ballot because if you can't get on the ballot, you can't get anyone to vote for you, which is common sense. But why wasn't it common sense ten years ago? Because we had people that didn't want somebody on the ballot to get on the ballot. They didn't want another person's name there to compete against. Nobody wants competition when you're in the lead. And that's what do we call it when you have such a large company that you don't have any competition? You it's don't called want a it? monopoly. <gasps> Which is illegal. But when it's political monopolies, then you know that's great. Well, I mean, we've got monopolies that have been going on forever. I mean, the, the Clintons are a monopoly. So are the Bushes. Well, let's talk a second, and let's tie this back into our game show, okay? So if you have to, in order to run, you have to run with one of two parties. Let's say that you're not really politically or ideologically aligned with either party. Do you run as a third party and have no chance? Or do you pick whichever party you think is going to give you the best boost and run on it, even though you're not really a Republican or Democrat? Well, I'm pretty sure that this happened to Rand Paul, and that's the reason he was running as a Republican, even though he's not really so aligned as a Republican. He's more of a libertarian. Governor Nathan Deal is a... Democrat. Ha ha ha, yeah. You see, I can't fool you with anything. You're going to win the game show. I knew he was a Democrat. That's why when you said... Well, he agreed to sign all of the gun legislation we passed. I went, really? Because what I know about Nathan Deal, that ain't him, man. That ain't him. So he's a, a Democrat, and he wore Republican clothing to get elected. This reminds me of the wolf that'll put on his sheep's, sheep's clothing and walk around in the field to eat the little sheep. When I was announcing that I was going to run, I said that I was going to run as libertarian. And everyone said, why do that? Why not just run as Republican? Well, the problem is, is that I'm, I am a Republican. I'm a Republican from 1984. You're not a Republican from 2015. But I'm not a Republican from 2016. And that's a big problem for me. And folks, we're at a commercial break. When we come back, we'll play another round of Let's Make a Deal. Now, back to GeorgiaCarry.org Radio with Doug and Jesse King. Welcome back, folks. So we're dealing with politics today, Georgia politics, and uh, we kind of referenced this case that came out just, I think it was yesterday. I mean, it, it just burst across the screen where a judge, appeals court judge has ruled that Georgia's ballot access law uh, is invalid and reduced the number of signatures required to get on the ballot. So this year, you're going to see a lot of people be able to qualify for races that never would have been able to get together the signatures before. Um, for local elections, you know, 3,000 signatures is kind of a high mark, but let's be honest, it's not impossible. You, you can raise 3,000 signatures with, with just some good handshaking and being out there. But when you start to talk about U.S. Senate with 22,000 or U.S. President at 50,000, 
that gets to be really hard. You have to have a grassroots network that just a candidate or a candidate and a few friends cannot possibly manage. So how many do you have to have? 22,000 to be a senator, U.S. senator? U.S. House of Representatives was 22,000 was the number I heard. That's what the Libertarian um, Party, what was his name? Mr. Metz. Ted Metz, yeah. Ted Metz is going to have to get 22,000 signatures. If he wants to make it on the ballot, that was his benchmark. Holy cow. Yeah, I don't know. There was there was some talk that he was going to run as a Republican, which is again what we were just saying, right? You know, if you aren't politically ideologically aligned, but you don't want to be able to, you want to be able to run, and you don't want to be forced into collecting impossible signatures that costs hundreds of thousands of dollars to collect, either in time or cash, then you end up running as a Republican because it's the only game in town. And and while the Republicans like to portray themselves as a big tent party where they're bringing in divergent groups under one ideology, I think the truth is is that divergent ideologies are hijacking parts of the Republican Party because it's the only game in town. And it really is. I mean, well, they can hijack part of the Democrat Party, but the Democrats are going to go boo if they're not something like a Democrat. Yeah, well, they're, I mean... But we have Bernie Sanders, and he's kind of hijacked the Democratic Party with his socialists. Much I mean, like Trump has Republicans, on both on opposite ends of a Really of opposite ends of the spectrum well, here. Well, not so much. There are some things that they come close to on, because, you know, it, it, politics is not a straight line. It's a it's circle. It's diamond. It's a circle. And as you keep going around this side, eventually you get to start coming up the other side. And the problem is, is that Trump and Sanders have met kind of in the middle on some issues. You know, they've gone all the way back far enough that they've hit the other side where they're, they're similar on issues. Bernie Sanders is a big supporter of unions, right? He is huge on unions. Okay. Being a big union supporter, unlike Hillary Clinton, that means that he is against free trade and he supports tariffs. By supporting tariffs, he also has lined up with Trump's opinion that we should do something to equalize the trade discrepancies with China. We have some trade discrepancies with China. I kind of agree there. Right. but Well, I agree both, with Bernie Sanders both, about some of Both of them have come full circle and reached the other end of that circle with each other on trade embargoes and tariffs. Because although they come at it from different angles, they both meet at the end. The same way that um, people like Marco Rubio... And Jeb Bush meet up with Hillary Clinton at the other side of the circle for free trade. And it's interesting because they, it, politics creates strange bedfellows. But these, these ideologies are not polar opposite. If you start going left, you don't end up so far left that you have nothing in common with people who are far right. You actually get to a point where you start to meet up again. My issue is that I'm so far center that I have nothing in common with either party. And each party accuses me of being the other. Yes. So when I have a d- discussion with Democrats, they go, oh, you stupid conservative. Mm-hmm. And when I have a discussion with um, Republicans, they say I'm a, I'm a stinking liberal. The reality is I'm neither. Well, the thing is, is, is you... If you are libertarian in philosophy, where you you believe in fiscal conservative and social liberalism, if you are a person who goes the other way and believes in social conservatism and fiscal liberalism, you're always going to have part of either of the main parties that is 
diametrically opposed to you. But you also have a part that agrees with you. And I think that for a centrist, for a libertarian, for anybody who doesn't fit into the, the harsh dichotomy that's being imposed on us, the goal is not to highlight those differences and be hated by everybody, but is to draw people towards you with the beliefs that you do share. And a liberal who says, look, I don't want the government in my bedroom, will find a strong supporter in anybody who is liberty-minded, who says, I don't want the government in my bedroom or in my business. Now, does that mean that you and the liberal cannot find common ground? No, you should be able to find common ground in that you want the government not to do so much. And you should be able to find common ground with a conservative who doesn't want the government doing so much in their business. I think my failed expectation is that I think that if I support them and not wanting the government in their bedroom, then they should support me and not wanting the government in my gun collection. And you're never going to get them to come to that point. You're never going to get someone to shift there. You're not able to, they're not able to see that if they want liberty, they've got to be willing to let other people have theirs. Right. And, and that is a fundamental flaw with a liberal instead of a liberty philosophy. But th- that doesn't mean we can't build coalitions with people to get certain objectives accomplished. And here's my, my problem with Rush Limbaugh. I have listened to Rush Limbaugh since I was in, it was 92, so I was in fifth grade. All right? Fifth grade, I started listening to Rush. Well, you were I, bored. I would sit in class, in my sixth grade class, and while the teacher was droning on and on about something that was absolutely ridiculous, I would have an AM radio in my pocket, run an earbud up through my shirt sleeve, and sit there with an earbud in the palm of my hand and listen to Rush in class. Okay, So I have listened to Rush as long as he's been on the air almost my entire life. Rush's point is you cannot compromise with evil. When there is evil, if you compromise with it, you get evil, and good does not triumph. So we must fight liberals at every turn. And I disagree. I think that there are some things which are not evil about a philosophy that involves less government. Now, when it involves less government in your bedroom, that's fantastic. But when they want government control, then it shifts over. So we can build a coalition on on issues that involve less government. And when they want to build a coalition that involves issues that involve higher spending or more government control or regulation, then they lose my support and they're going to have to go it alone. Okay. And in a legislative body, this kind of coalition building is extremely important because if instead of having all the Republicans voting together and all the Democrats voting together, if we had a another group that would sometimes vote with one and sometimes vote with the other, they would be the most powerful lobby in the entire country. But they have not been able to achieve that. There is nobody out there who is splitting the difference and pushing an agenda of freedom and liberty. They just don't do it. Now, that's in a legislative sense. In an executive sense, like Governor Deal, you have a completely different rubric. You are not a coalition builder. You are an agenda setter. And there, I'm okay with having somebody who is more conservative to help set an agenda that I agree with. But the flip side is, is that's also the vehicle that the Libertarian Party needs most. Because once the way ballot access had been set up, and I think it's changing, I think it's changing dramatically. But the way it had been set up was if you won the governor, then you got ballot access all the way down ballot. So you needed to co-opt and win that governor position to enable people to be able to run for the legislature. 
This may be a thing of the past. My entire rubric of understanding how libertarian politics needed to work may have changed yesterday. And if it is, then thank God, because it's time for a change. We needed that change. But I'm all the way up until yesterday, I've been saying for years, you've got to run somebody who will take that seat, open up down ballot access so that you can get people in the legislature so you can start to alter the agenda towards freedom, freedom for everybody. But getting someone to vote someone in is very difficult because there's a lot of people out here that are a, they're a third party and they don't realize it. My sister being one of them, I, we were do- talking about being libertarian. And, and when I started talking about values of a libertarian, she says, oh, I, right. I think I may be a libertarian. Tell me more. Yeah. <laughs> you know, all these years I thought I was Republican and I didn't understand why I didn't agree with them on so many things. Well, that, that's, that's, <clears throat> that I think was, that the Republican party of 20, 2008 through 2016 is very much like the Democrat Party of 1964 to 1968. It's weird how it evolves. There there has been a a shift between their base, and they don't want to acknowledge their base anymore. Now, let's let's talk about Reagan for a second. Wasn't Reagan a Republican and a Democrat before? He was a Democrat governor from California. He ran in 1976, uh, did not get much traction uh, was kind of shut out by the establishment um, as he ran as a Republican in 76 and didn't get anywhere. Then he took on a different viewpoint. And in 1980, he went a completely different track. And in 1980, instead of being kind of trying to, to deal one-on-one with the head-on conservative movement that was happening, because remember, the Republicans were in turmoil. He had Nixon step down. He had Ford step up. Ford lost the election. Carter comes in. The Republicans don't really understand where they're going. They had kind of the intellectual group that was behind Nixon that was now suddenly in, in disfavor. They had some really stark conservatives pushing a very hardline viewpoint that did not resonate with the American people, and the party was lost. Going into 1980, you have George Herbert Walker Bush stepping onto the scene as the heir apparent. He is a lifelong employee of the the CIA. He understands foreign policy immeasurably well. He is incredibly intelligent, shrewd, and manipulative. And being in the Republican Party, he has managed to maneuver his way into what seems to be an heir apparent nomination for 1980. Out of the blue, Reagan comes back. And Reagan, instead of doing a hard, super conservative, um, um, Walter Mondale-style, really hardcore campaign, Reagan comes in with a simple message. America is always mourning America. America is a great country, which sounds eerily familiar this year. Folks, we're at a commercial break. We'll be right back. Now, back to GeorgiaCarry.org Radio with Doug and Jesse King. Folks, when we took the break, we were starting to talk about the Reagan Revolution. It really was a revolution. When Reagan was running in 1980, he, you know, he was facing off against George H.W. Bush, and which really makes you think, okay? The, the Bush, you know, we got Jeb Bush running this year. The Bush legacy goes back to 1976, all right? So there's 40 years, right? No. Yeah, 40 years of Bush manipulating to become president and hold on to the presidency. Now, let me say this, and this is what I'm going to say about the Bushes. It's failed twice. Why are they willing to try it a third time? 
Well, the Republican Party's platform seems to be give it to whoever can't win the last election. Anyway, um, so Reagan comes in, and Reagan is not pushing. Now, Reagan was conservative. Now, he was a Democrat, right? Right. But he was conservative. More than a Republican, he was a conservative. And when he started to push for the nomination, what he did is he ran on an idea that America was exceptional, that America would be great again, that we did not have to be um, beholden to Middle Eastern interests. We were, did not have to have the energy dependence that we were, were experiencing on the Middle East and that we would be a, a great society again. So reality was he was not a Republican. He was a populist. Reagan was very much a conservative populist. Now, I think that Donald Trump is more of a liberal populist. If you look at some of the things he's saying, I think that he is touching on more liberal populist viewpoints than conservative populist viewpoints. There's some points where he's ultra more conservative than any of us could be. We're all like, we need to... to fix our immigration laws and he's like build a wall <laughs> yeah but that's that that's a different kind of nationalism than and i hate to say that because everyone instantly makes a connection that i'm not trying to make about nationalism especially in regards to social aspects but that's not where i'm going with this what i'm saying is that that is a nationalist policy which is not necessarily conservative in viewpoint view conservatives want to increase business right that's one of the fundamental tenets of conservatism. Free enterprise, free trade, free business, lower tariffs, and increase the workforce. Those are conservative principles. So conservatives typically are in favor of immigration because they want to expand the workforce and have cheap labor to be able to increase business production. Okay. So anti-immigrationism is populist, but it's not really conservative. Really? Really. So I don't think that Trump really is as conservative as Reagan was. But I think that they are both using the same kind of methodology to pursue the White House, which is tell people that it's going to be okay. Tell them that I can help fix the problems and that it is not their fault. And Reagan did. I mean, we had prosperity during the Reagan administration and afterwards. There was a time period there where our country was... As stable as it could be. And well, Reagan was president during the height of the Cold War. Mm-hmm. I mean, this was the end days. This is when people were saying that we were closer than ever before to a nuclear conflict. Reagan's rhetoric was uh, beyond the pale. He talked about destroying the Soviet Union. He called them an evil empire. He escalated tension with them. And what did that happen to them? What happened to them because of the, their need for increased spending on military and the threat of a real conflict with America, not simply a peace? Oh, they caused themselves some real financial downfalls there. And the military that realized that they weren't up to going toe-to-toe with America was like, you guys are going to escalate this? I, I don't think so. I'm not fighting them. It is exactly what happened in, in Iraq, right? We go in, we have the huge troop buildup, Saddam Hussein's stomping his feet, feet saying, we can take on everybody, we can take on everybody. The moment we invade, what happens? They turn him over to us. Thousands, well, the first <laughs> Gulf War, thousands oh. and thousands of troops surrender. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they didn't want to fight. And if you have a position of moral superiority, if you have a position of military superiority, and you maintain a position of economic superiority, no country is going to want to buck the system. 
And that leads to the Pax Americana that we experienced throughout the 90s, right? right. And then we started to see it deteriorate. We saw Bosnia fall. We saw Somalia fall. We saw all of these little start-to-be-Bush wars pop up, even in the absence of the Soviet Union instigating anything. And what happened there? Why did we have that happening? Well, because we had shifted from this hardcore American exceptionalism under Reagan Bush did not continue the policies. He started talking about all sorts of weird things and throwing up in his shoe. And next thing you know, we've got Clinton in there who is completely domestic. And having a completely domestic president is not a bad thing. But it leads to the deterioration in foreign policy where you start to see the Bush brush fires pop up. And we've never really recovered from that. No, it's it's been worse and worse every time we've got another Democrat back in. And oh, then we had, Bush. while we were working on having obama as president hillary was secretary of state like that's going to help any of our foreign relations at all well i'm sorry the bush presidency bush too didn't help anything globally either i mean our, our our mission in iraq was misguided um it put a lot of americans at in danger unnecessarily and at the end of the day, we did not accomplish what we needed to. Now, I think that overthrowing, I think overthrowing Saddam Hussein was a laudable goal. I think overthrowing Gaddafi was a laudable goal. But, but we leave put a power somebody vacuum. back in place or you cause what people happened? to be vying for the spot. They, that power is what they wanted anyway. Somebody wanted to be in that spot. So and what people, happens is the worst of the worst gets in the spot and you end up with al-Qaeda leaders... You end up with um, what we have now with ISIS, those people being the rulers of the area, and then you end up with mass refugees coming out of the area. Sometimes it's better the devil you know than the devil you don't. And the the people who have taken power in those despotic governments did so because they were ruthless and brilliant. They're horrible, horrible people. They've done horrible things. But they have amassed power through the mechanisms available in that region. You go through and suddenly say, we're going to have democracy, and you end up with ISIS. I'm sorry. It, that's what happens. If the, if the populace is not educated, if they don't have the heart for it, if they're not willing to fight for it. Remember what, what Benjamin Franklin said to us, right? What, what type of government did you create? He said, what? A democracy, if you can keep it. Right. Yeah. Well, it's not a democracy, well, not a democracy anymore. But but the, the the thing is is that if you can keep it right, because every generation has to reaffirm the social contract. And I know libertarians hate talking about social contract because I never signed a social contract. Well, I don't care. You did. You're involved in a society. You have a social contract. The way that you get out of that social contract is you move to another society or go find yourself an island. Because every time you interact with another person, you engage in social contract behavior. You drive on the right-hand side of the road. Or if you're in another country, you drive on the other side of the road. doesn't matter. The truth is is that we have certain standards of living that we adhere to because we are part of a society and we interact with each other according to social norms. And so – if you're going to buck that system, you've got – there are bigger problems. I, I just – I look at what's going on in the world today, and it's very frustrating. We well, have people who don't believe in core values like personal responsibility, like freedom. Well, no, people and have no ownership. personal responsibility. You see the, the moms demand action women. 
The reason they're so anti-gun is because they're anti-personal responsibility. If they have to be pro-gun, then they would have to admit that gun crimes falls on somebody's shoulders and not the gun. It's easier to blame the gun than to take personal responsibility. And it's easier to blame the gun than say, I should carry and have to act to defend myself. There's a huge leap. There's a huge mental leap where you say, I'm going to carry a gun. Do you know what the hardest part about carrying a gun is? The absolute hardest thing. For me, it's finding a way to, to carry when you're wearing a skirt. I mean, sheesh. The hardest thing that a person does when they make the decision that they're carrying a gun is to say, when something happens, I'm going to draw this and potentially end someone else's life. I think I could do it if I needed to. My personal experience is that a lot of people think they can and they can't. And there are a lot of people who think they can't and they can. In that moment, in that split second when the decision has to be made and you're acting more on instinct than on rational thought, when you are reacting to something horrible displaying out in front of you, then your true character comes out. And some people can and some people can't. I was raised by a real narcissist. So I believe that my va- my life is more valuable than the life of a scum of the earth criminal. So, yeah, I think I could end their life and it'd be not an issue. Well, I don't think anyone knows until that moment. When you actually have been in the situation where you've had to pull the gun, not just, you know, like I'm angry and, and I, 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 I'm, there, there may be a need for it and you think I could, I could have done it then, or not just a sort of situation where you're training and you know that it's not real, but you, you can, you've got a split second reaction time. But in the real situation, in the real moment when you are confronted with that life or death choice, it changes a person and it brings out the metal of their character in a way that you cannot simulate, you cannot anticipate, and you cannot train for. You know that something like 80% of guns in war are never fired? Really? Yeah. There's only a very small portion that actually end up causing a wound or an injury because most people who are, like in World War II, most of the people who were drafted or volunteered or went into it because they believed in the cause were not capable of doing what needed to be done. This is why we need to go over to the CMP and buy some of those used. Yeah, I want. I want a 1911. Folks, we'll be right back. And now, back to GeorgiaCarry.org radio with Doug and Jesse King. Welcome back, everybody. I'm your host, Doug King. I'm here with Jesse, and we are talking Georgia politics, personal responsibility, electioneering, and all sorts of good stuff. We are talking some dirty topics today, (laughs) because most people don't want to hear about it. They want to stick their fingers in their ears and go, la, 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 la. (laughs) What we should have talked about was 1911s at the CMP. That would have been something that everyone can get behind. We can still discuss that. Do you know when they're going to have those 1911s at the same I, I heard that they're going to start releasing them um, this fall. This was, fall. Was the, and that they are going to start at $1,000 a piece. Maybe you'll get one for your birthday. Th- thousand bucks a piece. That'll be a nice birthday. You know March is buy your husband a gun month. Right? Every month is buy your husband a gun month. That's what you say. Yeah. But there's, I've, seen, <laughs> I've seen it on Facebook, so it must be true. Yeah, well, you know, March 14th is supposed to be the day because February 14th is for women and March 14th is a different kind of day. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. 
So how do you join Georgia Carey? You join Georgia Carey by going online to georgiacarey.org, and that is not Georgia Carey organization. That's georgiacarey.org. Oh, we need to we need to, to to point this out. There was a rather unfortunate fellow whose name I will not mention, who was running for a political nomination. And he said, I am a member of hundreds of civic groups. And he started to put them up on the screen behind them. And among the list of things scrolling by, I see Georgia Carey Organization. <laughs> and I look over to my friend James Camp, who just happens to be on the GCO board. And I said, what's that? And he just looked down for a minute and shook his head. <laughs> wow. Anyway, it's not Georgia Carey organization. It's georgiacarey.org. .org. And it's always been georgiacarey.org. It flows off the tongue and better. <laughs> why, why is it georgiacarey.org and not Georgia Carey organization, Jesse? Because if you type in Georgia Carey organization on the internet, we'll probably come up in a Google search, but it will not take you to our website. It is georgiacarey.org. Well, the reason that they did that, and you're right, it is absolutely that you type it in. But you see, a certain AJC, who won't be named, uh, would not print the name of the organization so that you could get find out who they were. They would just wanted to print something really short. Didn't they buy up all of those so that it would lead to Georgia Carey? Like if you type in like gun group dot Georgia gun group dot com, it takes you to Georgia Carey. Yes, they they spent. I, I think they spent about a grand at nine dollars a pop registering all sorts all of the domain names. all the domain names that. AJC was using and finally they stopped but every time they print the name of the organization now you got the link and it hyperlinks in their online edition which is pretty cool so that's how we got to be georgiacarry.org not georgiacarry.organization and if you want to join you go online you click on membership and you pay your $20 a year or $500 for a lifetime and you're a member and part of being a member you get uh emails in, that involve you in what's going on in the legislature plus you there are a lot of really cool local groups you can visit with get to know some other like-minded individuals and have some barbecue cuz that's usually what we eat um you can also go to any of those chapter meetings and become a member they're open to the public well the public's welcome to come and see what's going on we don't hide our doings from anybody <laughs> unlike some other groups <clears throat> moms anyway <laughs> and you can come and, and join there or you can find us at most local festivals the big shanty festivals coming up in april i know they'll be there that's always fun you can meet mark gilbert get an autograph mark gilbert will be there for sure so georgiacarry.org you go online you you pay twenty dollars a year and, and you get a membership and gun shows. There are gun shows popping up. There's a gun show yeah. at the Atlanta Farmers Market, isn't there, this yeah, weekend? Yeah, but does GeorgiaCarry.org set up at that one? Because I didn't know anything about that gun show. I'm pretty sure that they do. I'm was, pretty sure. There was a gun show there this past weekend. I got tomatoes and said, guys, sorry, my sister was with me. But the tomatoes were awesome. Yeah. Well, you know, there's there's a lot of events that are going on as spring comes. I mean, and and there's questions about, you know, where we're going to spend our resources and our time and our volunteers. I know in, in my campaign, it becomes, you know, really pick and choose what you can and can't do. Georgia Carey doesn't have that issue. They've got so many people lining up to volunteer for things that they can be everywhere. And yeah. that is really a, a great way of showing the, the legislature, showing the governor, showing the people of Georgia that we still have an active gun culture. We still believe in individual rights and responsibility. I'm going to put this out there. In the North chapter, 
the gun shows up to the north up I seventy five like in Dalton and in Cartersville. Georgia Carey needs more volunteers for these type of events. It usually ends up falling on one or two people. It's just John. They don't really get a break. John is very faithful and he works hard at making sure that somebody is at that booth. But these guys usually don't even get a break. And if I can get to the gun show, usually I'll go and, and try to um, visit with them for a few minutes and offer to let them have a break. But if you if you live in those areas, stop by and say hello and ask if the guys need to go to the restroom or need some lunch grabbed. It's 15 minutes of your time to give them a, a break from sitting there the whole day yeah and it gets long i mean anyone who's worked a gun show knows it gets long especially sunday afternoon oh yeah and if you are listening to us online don't waste your bandwidth call up your local radio station and tell them that you listen to georgiacarry.org radio and that you would like to hear gco radio on their station then send us an email at radio at georgiacarry.org and let us know which station manager you talk to, and, and we'll follow up with them and see if we can get on their station as well. Absolutely. And th- th- this is a great opportunity for us and for you to get more people involved and more people excited about the great work that's being done and the new laws that are being passed. So we're coming up to the end of the legislative session. Whether Deal signs this bill or that bill or not, we're going to start over again next year with a whole new slate of bills. And mm-hmm. I see things coming down the pike that are a little bit scary. You well, know? It, luckily, Dexter Sharper's training bill looks like it's fizzling out. For this year. For this year, well, he'd have to start it over from scratch next Everything year. Everything starts over from scratch next year. And I think that on the heels of this presidential election that there's going to be a lot of different things being bantied about and floated around. And I think that it's time that we really buckle down and, and push this next two-year cycle to get some real changes made. I mean, we've got, what, six states now that have constitutional carry? Yeah, I think six or seven. And we, we're no longer going to be the ones that lead the way. But we can definitely be ones that are on the right side of the debate. I would like to pass a law that says to join an anti-gun lobbying group like Moms Demand Action, a person has to have a clean bill of mental health. Because I saw that lady ranting on TV, and I'm pretty sure that she's a danger to herself I'm, and others. I'm pretty sure that that would draw strict scrutiny, just like we were talking about the ballot access. I, I think she's probably a danger to herself and others, though. I mean, for real. I think that nobody gets that mad over this kind of debate. Well, people do. People That's do. sad. That's and really sad. I, I'm one of them. I get, I get, there was a point in my life where I would get so frustrated with all of the anti-gun stuff that I couldn't even deal with it anymore. I didn't even want to hear about it. I didn't want to talk about it. These people who were just, they were irrational, irreconcilable differences, and it was just frustrating as all get out. Let's talk about this for a minute, the the anti-gunners and how they're scared of us. How many guns are owned by people in the United States? All of them. No, I mean, like, how many guns do you think are owned in the United Um, States alone? 300 million. 300 million guns. How many rounds of ammo do you think these gun owners have? Mm, A trillion. A trillion. Well, if, no, if, actually, let's figure that most people have a box. That's 50 rounds per gun. So take 300 million times 50, you'd end up with what? Two trillion? Two trillion. Okay. With 300 million guns and two trillion rounds of ammo, if we were as violent as they think we are, they would not exist. Nice, Spock. 
it's true. <laughs> I mean, let, going using logic on. Let's people. be real. We would have already taken care of that problem if we were violent people. Well, you know, the the flip side of that argument, and I hate to make an anti-gunners argument for him, but since no one else is here doing it, if with with that many guns, if guns really stopped crime, would there still be any crime? There would be more than there is now. Well, the the best argument is look at where the crime is happening. It's usually where the guns aren't. That's the truth. New York, Chicago. Chicago's had something like 200 murders already this year. You don't We're see, in March. You don't see too many murders in Rydell. No. <laughs> where everybody we don't, owns we don't a gun. see too many murders in Kennesaw. Yeah, which is soon to be the, the second most gun-friendly place in Georgia. Well, would be the first most friendly gun. It'll it'll be Bartow once I get elected. Oh yeah, Doug's gonna give a free rifle to everybody that votes for him, right? No, don't, <laughs> don't even joke. There's no buying votes with with Doug <laughs> King, but there there may be some policies in the future that would make um, most other counties jealous about our our support of the Second Amendment and individual freedom and rights. I see some things coming down the pike in the next few years once I secure that seat that will be awe-inspiring and hopefully will lead to a revolution among other county governments. The good news is you two still have time to get a piece of the pie by moving to Bartow and registering as a voter. Or or just (laughs) donating to my campaign. You can find me on Facebook, that's for sure. Well, folks, we're coming up to the, to the end of the show, and I want to thank you for listening in. I hope that we put a little bit of pressure on Let's Make a Deal to, to clean up his show and to do the most responsible thing, although we may differ on what's responsible at this point or what's the best course of action for the state of Georgia. I think that we should hold our elected officials accountable, and especially the establishment Republicans, which keep showing how they're just establishment over and over again. Let's make a difference this week. Get out there. Enjoy your families. Tune back in. Same bat time, same bat channel. This has been GeorgiaCarry.org Radio with Doug and Jesse King. GeorgiaCarry.org is Georgia's no-compromise voice for gun owners. Tune in each week for valuable information on protecting your Second Amendment right to keep and bear arms. GeorgiaCarry.org Radio, Saturday mornings at 8 on News Talk 1160, the talk of the town.